This episode of the Holly Fueled Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. To save 10% off your first month of therapy, visit the link in the show notes, which is BetterHelp, better slash Holly Fueled. Hey, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am your host, Holly Samuel, and I'm a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer. And today we're going to do a little bit of a different kind of race recap, except it's going to be my birth story (laughs) instead of an actual like Boston Marathon or PR or, you know, actual traditional race recap. So I know this is a little bit of a different topic episode um, than the usual sports nutrition, running, training, body image, etc. But it was highly requested. I'm very happy to share it. Um, I'm currently nap trapped recording part of this with my two and a half week old son, Owen, um, which is really crazy to say. <laughs> and I'm going to get as much of it recorded as I can and try to remember as many details as I can for you guys. Um, I love, 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 love listening to birth stories. Um, I just, I've always been super fascinated by pregnancy uh, labor delivery. I took extra classes on life cycle and um, like reproductive, you know, um, science and stuff like that in college. Um, and I've listened to so many birth stories even long before I ever wanted to be pregnant. I just, again, find it super interesting, kind of a fun fact about me. But, um, you know, obviously, once I was pregnant, especially towards the second and third trimesters, I listened to so many birth stories and I really feel like it helped me a ton, um, kind of just understand one, how the process works, what can happen and have like reasonable expectations for birth, labor and delivery. Um, especially as a first time mom who had never experienced it before. Um, and I want to preface this episode by saying, you know, this is going to be, uh, Owen's birth story. I'm going to talk about my birth preferences um, and kind of why that's the case, but there is absolutely no like right or wrong way to bring a tiny human into this world. All births are beautiful. I know a lot of people experience like traumatic births, um, and I, you know, I don't want to take take that lightly. Um, but again, this isn't necessarily what you should do, but. You know, maybe if you're like a first time mom, especially, or if you had a similar experience, um, it might be just helpful to stand in solidarity and listen to this episode, um, or just to give you some insight on how a birth can go. Um, because again, they can go so many different ways. Um, and this is just how, how mine went. So, um, let's kind of get into it. Um, I'm really excited. I'm going to try to provide as much detail as possible. So let's kind of start with January 10th. Um, So Owen was born on January 12th at like 2.50 in the morning. So like just barely on January 12th. So on January 10th, I was about 39 weeks pregnant. And I think two days I had just had like my 39 week checkup with my uh, midwife and everything was fine. Everything was peachy. I remember we were talking about like potential... um, basically just like what happens if I go over my due date, because I was pretty adamant on, Hey, if I'm still healthy, if baby's looking good, like 
I'd like to go into into labor by myself. Um, you know, I don't really want to be induced if I can avoid that. Um, because I did want a lower intervention birth. I did like the idea of going unmedicated. Um, and actually, let me explain why a little bit, because I think it's important to explain why, because it's not right or wrong, however you like prefer to give birth. Um, like I said, there's a lot of different ways, but um, originally, like, I didn't really know anyone or a ton of people in my personal life who, like, wanted a low intervention birth, wanted to go unmedicated. So that was never really something that was on my radar until I started listening to birth stories and just learning about the birth process um, and how it can go and how it goes like in a, you know, natural sense when there are lower interventions. I had read a couple different books like classic. I feel like you hear about this on every birth story podcast, but um, Ina May's uh, Guide to Childbirth Um, I also read a couple other books as well um, that kind of involved birthing process and birth stories. So that was something that appealed to me a little bit later. When I first found out I was pregnant, I was kind of like, I don't really know how I want this to go. I just want everyone to be healthy. Like, I didn't really know a ton about like the recovery processes from a vaginal delivery versus a C-section. Um, I knew some of the things that could go sideways during birth, but again, I didn't really have any preferences. Um, and then if you guys have listened to my other pregnancy-related podcasts before, you know that I um, it was found that I had placenta previa and I was on pelvic rest for two months. And typically, um, you know, placenta previa resolves itself and no further intervention is needed. And that is what happened with me. But there was a two-month period in my pregnancy where I was told, hey, if this doesn't resolve, like you are going to be, we're going to schedule a C-section for you around 37 weeks because you absolutely cannot go into labor. It's very dangerous for both the mother and the baby if you were to go into labor because the placenta can detach and start bleeding and, you know, cause a ton of issues. So, you know, there was a point in my pregnancy where I was like, natural, like unmedicated, which again, all childbirth is natural, but like low intervention, you know, childbirth sounds good. And then it was like, actually, no, you're going to have the opposite of that. (laughs) Um, So there was a period of time where I kind of had to wrap my head around that and accept it, even though it was really not what I thought I wanted at all. Um, So again, I kind of went into this with a very open mind. So that being said, when my Previa did resolve itself and all options were back on the table, I was kind of like, all right, let me start to think about this because if I do, you know, have preferences, I want to make sure I'm very well researched that I have prepared appropriately Um, because I don't know, like if you go into childbirth, like white knuckling a birth plan, it's probably not going to go perfectly to plan. But I also feel like because you want to be a little bit open minded, because, again, just like a marathon, like you have to control your controllables. And then there's so many things that we just can't control when it comes to childbirth and labor and delivery. But I also feel like uh, to flip the coin, if you walk in, you know, and you're like, I have no idea how this is going to go and I don't understand anything about this, then I don't know if that's a really good call either. Um, Because again, to compare it to the marathon, it kind of be like just going to the start line, not having trained at all and be like, all right, let's see how this goes. You know, it probably wouldn't be the best experience. Um, although I know for some people, maybe they've had great experiences going in completely oblivious. And if that's you, like, that's awesome. Um, but that's just not how I roll. I I believe knowledge is power and I like learning about this. So 
my birth preferences um, were definitely, you know, I wanted like a lower intervention birth if medically possible. I wanted to give birth in a hospital that made me feel comfortable. I never really understood um, the appeal of like a home birth or a birth center until I was more pregnant and I started to feel a lot safer at home and like home was where my body was the most relaxed. So after experiencing that, I was like, I absolutely understand why people do this at home, like with a midwife present, um, and have like a good, you know, transfer plan if needed. But anyway, I knew I wanted to give birth in a hospital setting. Um, one of our local hospitals has a very great, uh, birthing center, um, that is run mostly by midwives. Um, they do have some OBs as well. And their C-section OR is right in the birth center. Um, you get to stay in the same room the whole time. The rooms are huge. They have a jacuzzi. Like, have only heard good things for the most part about this hospital. It is the hospital system that I used to work for as well. Um, and I've had some family members and friends give birth there. So, um, and it's the closest hospital to us for the most part. So I knew that that was what I wanted and that, you know, they would probably be pretty supportive of like an unmedicated lower intervention birth if it was medically possible for me. So that was kind of like the plan, um, you know, that we came up with as I got more and more into my pregnancy. So um, we hadn't thought too much about like hiring a doula or anything like that. I had I had thought about it a little bit, but then again, there was a period of time where I was going to have a planned C-section maybe. So I was like, I don't really know how helpful that would be to have a doula um, if it's like a planned situation. So I just wasn't sure. I kind of hemmed and hawed over it and we ended up not really looking into it until the last month of pregnancy. Um, we had taken the childbirth classes at this hospital system. Um, Connor definitely got a lot out of it, like from an information standpoint. I didn't learn a ton from an information standpoint, but what I was hoping to do was one, to teach my body, hey, we go to the hospital once a week for these birthing classes. Like this is a safe place. You go here. This is familiar. Um, and that totally worked. And then also like, I wanted to kind of just get a feel for what our hospital was going to be like and what the policies were, what happens there. There's a lot of talk on like online, um, like pregnancy specialists who have like childbirth classes that are like, oh, there's things that your hospital childbirth class won't tell you and I'll teach it to you in my course. Um, but I honestly thought our, our hospital childbirth classes were excellent. Like I thought, I got everything out of it that we were hoping for. I knew a ton about birth and labor and delivery prior. So I think if you were looking to get all of your information about that from a hospital childbirth class, it might be cutting a little bit short. Um, but one of the best things that happened is that it introduced us to who would be our doula. Um, so the childbirth educator, her name was Corinne, um, who taught the classes. We loved her um, so much. Like she was just a great human and she definitely seemed to be like, um, just a good person to have in your corner. Like what I kind of got from talking to her in classes was that, Hey, the labor and delivery staff at this hospital are extremely supportive of anyone's birth preferences as long as they are safe. Um, and it makes sense. Like they are very patient. Like they, <laughs> they support low intervention on medicated birth. This functions more like a birth center than a hospital labor and delivery unit at times compared to other hospitals in this area. Um, 
And she also kind of said they're also extremely busy right now because a couple other hospitals in our area have closed their labor and delivery units and people are coming here. So if you are looking for labor and delivery staff to be like more supportive during the process, um, you know, then it might be helpful to have a doula. She didn't say that directly, but that's what I gathered. Um, so around like 36 weeks, um, 36, 37 weeks, we reached out to her and we were like, is it too late to ask if you will be our doula? And she was like, nope, that like I have that due date free. That works great. I'm in. Um, and honestly, having her um, there, despite me doing a ton of prep work, despite my husband doing a ton of prep work, despite the labor and delivery staff at the hospital we gave birth at being extremely supportive, um, I do think a lot of things went smoothly because we had this doula. Um, she was incredible. She was the person who was there the whole time despite shift changes. She was the person suggesting I move positions or move locations if a like position was no longer serving me through contractions. She kept my husband calm when things were getting really intense. And, you know, just as a person to be like, hey, I've seen a bazillion births and this is super normal. Actually, it's a really good sign that she's swearing and screaming and saying these things. Um, and that just kept everyone really calm and like collected and organized. And she helped she helped me advocate for myself. But again, our labor and delivery staff was extremely supportive. Um, and I'm super lucky for that because I know that's not always the case. Um, so, she was great. So I really feel it's important to give that backstory. Um, so kind of fast forwarding to uh, January 10th, um, I basically had a pretty normal day. Like I got up, um, you know, we had had our 39 week appointment. Everything was hunky dory. I was kind of talking about, you know, hey, if I go over my due date, are you guys really going to be pushing an induction? Like, or how long will you let me go? And they basically said, if you come to your 41-week appointment and nothing's happening, we'll schedule an induction for 41 weeks and five days because we we don't see much benefit to you carrying past 42 weeks and we want to make sure the baby is delivered by 42 weeks. And I was like, I'm cool with that. That sounds good. Um, I know just from my research that most first-time moms on average um, gestation carry for around 41 weeks. Um, so I really wasn't expecting to go into labor before 40 weeks. And in my head, um, carrying for longer sounded a little bit harder. So I was trying to mentally prepare myself for the finish line actually being at 42 weeks rather than 40 weeks or earlier. Um, so if you are pregnant with your first or if you have a history of going late with your pregnancies, I don't know. I feel like that's a helpful mindset to have. Because um, when I did go into labor, I was it was a little early and I was pleasantly surprised. Um, so... We had that conversation, which was kind of funny. And then uh, two days later, I gave birth. <laughs> so no induction uh, was necessary. But um, again, I I had a very normal day. I, I think I went for a four or five mile walk. I like talked to a friend on the phone. I went grocery shopping because I was going to do some meal prep for postpartum. Um, I picked up my dog's medications from our vet just to kind of stock up before, you know, we had a baby and we're in the newborn time warp so that she would be good, to, well taken care of. Um, where else did I go? I think I went to Target and picked up some more like baby stuff. Um, and by the time I got home, I was really tired. And I remember I had been planning to meal prep a little bit that night and I just didn't have it in me. So I was kind of like, well, I'll do it tomorrow. No big deal. Um, and went to bed. <laughs> 
So basically leading up until this point, I really wouldn't say I had any signs of labor. Um, I did notice that my belly had dropped probably around 36 weeks, um, but that can happen like weeks before you give birth. So that wasn't super like encouraging to me. Um, the whole time, for the most part, baby had been in LOA um, position with his head down, which we didn't know it was a boy, but I'll you know, call it a him because that's what he is. Um, you know, he had his head down. He was in the perfect kind of position to give birth. So, um, you know, I kind of knew that that was good. I was having like, I was just really uncomfortable at night because if I tried to sit down at all, it just felt like I didn't have any room in my torso for him. And then he would start kicking my ribs and then my back would hurt and then he'd shift around. And I just really wanted him to stay in a good position. So, I spent a lot of time like bent over the couch, bent over chairs. I would like perch a book like on a table behind a chair and then like lean over the chair, kneeling on the chair to read the book, if that makes sense. Um, like I just hadn't like properly sat down in months. <laughs> so um, that was really it. Like other than that, honestly, again, mentally, I was like, I could be pregnant for another month. I got this. Like this isn't so bad. I had a pretty smooth pregnancy despite like the placenta previa and some of that other stuff. Um, and for the most part, I was okay with staying pregnant a bit longer. I was pretty comfortable. Sleeping wasn't great. Sitting wasn't great, but that's okay. Not a big deal. Um, but that night we went to bed. I remember I slept terrible. Um, <laughs> I was up a lot, you know, peeing as you do late in pregnancy. I just like was restless. Like I just couldn't fall asleep. Um, which again, like looking back, maybe that could have been a sign that labor was near, but like I had so many nights like that during pregnancy that it didn't really stand out to me that much. Um, and when I woke up the next day, this is kind of where stuff got interesting. So um, I basically walked, you know, into the kitchen and I was just like leaning over the counter, just like stretching out my low back. Again, something I do all the time, even when I'm not pregnant. And um, Connor actually came over and he just like was like, oh, good morning. And he like gave me a hug like around my belly, just like a gentle hug. And we both felt like a pop <laughs> when he did that. Like, and again, he didn't squeeze me. Like, I think it was just a coincidence. Um, but we were like, oh, that was weird. And then I stood up and then it was like the movies. My water broke <laughs> and it was like a bucket like pouring out of me. And everyone said like, oh, only like 10% of people's, you know, waters break before they actually go into labor. Like it's not like the movies, usually your water breaks while you're already in labor or when you're pushing or they break it for you at the hospital. Um, so I was, I just wasn't expecting that. And again, I also wasn't expecting to go early. So I was kind of like, was that actually my water breaking? So I kind of got myself to the bathroom. There was some bloody show and mucus. This is going to be a TMI podcast if you couldn't tell already. Um, so I was kind of like, oh, I think this is happening. Um, and I hope it's happening because once your water breaks, typically they want you to give birth within a day or two just to reduce risk of infection. Although my hospital again was pretty supportive. Um, of, you know, not putting me on a super strict timeline and just monitoring things to make sure they were okay so that they could progress on their own. Um, so I was kind of like, oh, oh, you know, I better, we better call, um, because I want to make sure that this is my water breaking, even though I was pretty damn sure. Um, and I know that 
a lot of the times late in pregnancy, women will think their water broke and it actually wasn't their water breaking. So I wanted to go check on that. Um, so we called, they said to come in, they said, it absolutely sounds like your water broke, but come in anyway, um, just to make sure things are all set. And again, I remember I was kind of in denial, like, cause again, I didn't think my water would break that way. I didn't think I'd go into labor at 39 and a half weeks pregnant. Uh, and I thought, like, I still had some stuff on my to-do list for that day, right? Um, so I was kind of like, okay, like, do I have to come in right now? Or can I, like, finish, like, the thing, the things that I'm doing this morning and come in in, like, two hours? And they were like, that's totally fine if you feel fine. If there, you know, wasn't any, like, meconium or smell to the ruptured membranes when they broke, you know, you're totally fine to, to take your time a little bit. But do come in, you know, by lunchtime. I was like, great. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so I was like, well, I better start meal prepping because I was going to do this today. And now it looks like postpartum is much closer than I thought it was yesterday. Uh, so I remember I made breakfast sandwiches. I made uh, banana muffins. I made some energy bites. I had had some pre-prep stuff already that I bought, you know, pre-prepped. And I was going to make a lasagna, but... Actually, when I was making the banana muffins and the breakfast sandwiches, I did start to have contractions. So I remember kind of being like, you know, the weeks leading up to this, I would maybe have like a period cramp that was like, I mean, like a 0.01 out of 10. Like it was so bare, like barely noticeable. Um, so I really hadn't had, again, many signs of labor to my knowledge. Um, so I remember feeling like a period cramp and then I was like, oh, it went away. And then, you know, I'd put the muffins in the oven and then I'd feel another one. And I was like, oh, I think these are contractions. Like, again, I don't know why I just didn't think things would progress on their own. Like I was preparing my body for, like, I was preparing my mind, you know, for like the long haul with like the harder progression, I guess, but pleasantly surprised when it didn't work out that way. Um, so I started timing them and they were about 10 minutes apart. Um, and then there would kind of be like a little one, like in between sometimes. So they were between five and 10 minutes apart. They were about 30 to 45 seconds long and I was making muffins through them. So they were not a big deal. Um, they were way less of a big deal than even some of the, you know, actual period cramps that I had gotten in the past. So I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Like, good, maybe things are going to get going on their own um, because that's really what I wanted to do. My whole plan had been labor at home as long as possible, you know, get to the hospital, you know, in very active labor so that there's less chance of um, unnecessary intervention so that my body feels really safe because it knows that it's safe at home. Um, you know, that was kind of the plan. So I really didn't want to get to the hospital, not in labor, and then have them keep me because my water broke and then start to induce labor. It's not what I wanted. Um, and I also kind of was worried that once I got to the hospital, labor would be less likely to continue. Like I was concerned it would stall out because that's very common. Um, so I was very happy that I seemed to be having contractions. Um, so I finish what I'm doing. I'm like, all right, I'm definitely not going to make the lasagna because that's more time intensive. And honestly, my contractions were starting to get to the point where I would kind of like put my hand on the counter and like breathe through them a little bit. Like, again, they weren't bad, but I was like, okay, I like can't really ignore these <laughs> anymore. Like they're definitely there. Um, so I better, you know, we better get our stuff together and go um, because this is escalating. So 
we, you know, I, I finished the meal prep that I kind of had planned. I finished like half of it. Um, we had our hospital bags packed already so that we just kind of had to grab those. And we had a plan that my cousins were going to tag team watching the house and Hazel, our chocolate lab while we were away. Um, so that my parents didn't have to worry about it. Unfortunately, my dad was away. A lot of you guys know he's a pilot. So, um, he was away (laughs) during this, which was kind of a bummer, but we also kind of figured that would happen. Um, but my mom was home. And we made our way to, Connor and I made our way to the hospital. Um, and when we got there, I went to triage. Um, you know, they they checked me. They were like, your water definitely broke. Like, I was continuing to leak. Like, again, TMI. I was wearing, like, Depends on my way there. And, like, they were soaked. Like, they, I was my water was continuing to break, like, throughout the whole morning. It's so much fluid. I don't know if anyone else has had this experience, but it's just, it's like so much fluid. (laughs) So again, by the time I got there, I was kind of like, if this wasn't my water breaking, I don't know what it is because it is so much fluid. Um, So they checked me. They're like, yeah, your membrane's ruptured for sure. Um, You know, that's good to know. And what I had hoped, because I had heard that my hospital, you know, does this, is that if you're not in active enough labor, they'll send you home. They'll say, hey, your water broke. You're having contractions. We're going to send you home. Come back when they're, you know, five minutes apart, one minute long, all that good stuff. That's what I was hoping. So, like, I packed everything to stay at the hospital and give birth. But in my brain, I was still in denial. I was still like, I'm going to get to go home. Maybe I can make the lasagna and then we'll come back, like, tonight when I'm in active labor. Um So the wrench that was thrown into my plans and the uncontrollable like part of my birth story is that then they checked my blood pressure and it was high (laughs) and my blood pressure had been low to normal like throughout my entire pregnancy leading up to the 39 week appointment that I had had 48 hours prior. Um, so I was, I was really surprised, um, that it was high. It was like 140 over 90, which isn't terribly high, but that's pretty high for me, especially. So they were kind of like, "Uh Oh, that's not, you know, that's not what we want to see. Um, so we're going to do, you know, some blood work and a urine sample to, you know, see if it's preeclampsia, see kind of what's going on. Um, and something I was very adamant about, is them taking manual blood pressures. They had taken this blood pressure with an automatic cuff, which is really common in a hospital and doctor setting. I just have a lot of experience with blood pressure. I did have higher blood pressure when I was on the birth control pill several years ago. And when I came off of the pill, um, it did come down. And I noticed that the readings seemed to be a lot more accurate when actual people were taking manual readings. Um, versus an automatic cuff. I don't know if it's because of like the cuff size. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. But again, like this is something my PCP had looked into and we had looked into it. So I was just like, can you take it manually? (laughs) Um, Like, I'm sorry to be a pain, but like, I just, if you're gonna like do any interventions for my blood pressure, I want to make sure that it's actually high and it's not just falsely elevated. Because if we do like blood pressure meds or magnesium or, you know, whatever it is we have to do, I just don't want it to tank. And I don't want to feel like absolute crap um, when that intervention wasn't needed. And they were like, no problem. We totally, yeah, we totally get that. We support it. Again, great labor and delivery staff, super supportive. Um, So 
they took it manually and it was it was a little bit lower but it was still a little too high um so they did blood work we did a we had to do a catheter because my water broke so i couldn't just do a normal urine sample um so that was just kind of annoying and i did have like an elevated creatinine to protein ratio the two factors themselves were normal but the ratio was elevated um and i did have a little bit of like low electrolytes which is so funny because i had been drinking electrolytes like a boss so i upped that um and they diagnosed me with preeclampsia so did not expect that like my mom never had that my my aunts my cousins never had that i had like maybe one cousin with it um and i just again wasn't expecting it i know um i know a lot about why they think preeclampsia can happen, um, which I can talk about more later, but again, was just kind of surprised by that and really didn't want that to be my story because I know that with preeclampsia, things can get hairy. Like if your blood pressure gets so high that you're going to have a stroke, like they need to get the baby out. They need to give you meds, um, to keep everyone safe because, you know, it can become an emergency situation very quickly. I'd had friends, um, who had had preeclampsia, um, very recently too, and developed, you know, more complicated conditions and scary situations. So I was just kind of bummed by that, but, um, and I knew it would throw a wrench into my preferences, but, um, I understood that, you know, with the, with the blood work and the urine sample, you know, kind of supporting the high blood pressure reading, I was kind of like, okay, my blood pressure is actually high and yeah, I do need to stay. (laughs) Like I shouldn't go home. Um, you know, just in case, because I've never had a baby before. We don't have any precedent for how my body goes through labor and delivery. And the only way to really treat preeclampsia is to give birth. So, um, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of how this all started. Um, and this whole time, like that they were checking my water, checking my blood work, taking my blood pressure catheter. They had moved us into one of the labor and delivery rooms. Um, and again, I still think I'm going home, (laughs) even though I'm not. Um, it was probably about three or four hours total and my contractions pretty much stopped. Like they had gotten a couple on the monitor. We did like a non-stress test, um, when I got there to make sure baby was okay. And he was, um, everything was good except for my blood pressure. Um, and I had had a couple on the monitor, um, but with all the poking and prodding and moving around and stressing me out, basically, even though I was trying to remain really calm and keep my game face on, um, my contractions really stalled, which was not what I wanted. Right. So, um, once there was like a plan in place, once the midwife was like, she like took my shoulders and looked me in the eye and was like, I really recommend we admit you. I don't think it's a good idea for you to go home. I don't say that to everyone, you know, I, but I do think that this is going to be okay because you were having some contractions and if any interventions are needed, we're going to have a conversation about it first. We're not just going to push you into anything because she read my birth plan and she knew what I wanted. You know, she knew what I was, what I was like looking for. I was like, thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, they put me in the room and they left me alone. And once that happened and I had my game face on, I think I cried a little bit and I was like, okay, like I have to put my game face on because this is how this is going. This is one of those uncontrollable things that birth can throw your way and I'm just going to accept it and it's going to be fine. Um, and again, husband's super supportive the whole time and we're keeping our doula in the loop the whole time. We hadn't told her to come yet cause I, nothing was happening. Um, and once everyone left me alone and I like 
got in the, you know, nightgown that I packed for myself, um, that I got from like Amazon, just like a button up. I, I put my, my battle braids in that I like run marathons in. Um, so I got the hairstyle that, I, you know, was going to stay out of my face. I like washed my face. I think I put folklore on in the room by Taylor Swift. So that was just like calm music happening. Um, I had brought a couple essential oils. I didn't bring a diffuser because I didn't want the whole room to smell in case it started to bother me. But I was like just kind of sniffing like out of the bottle, like lemon and peppermint and lavender just to be like, okay, we're safe. We're calm. This is happening. It's all good. Everyone's leaving you alone. There's no more poking and prodding unless they need to. Um, they're supportive of your birth preferences. Like everything's going to be okay. And we're having a baby. Once that happened, my contractions started up again, which was awesome. At this point too, um, I had been basically on my feet for a while. Um, so I wanted to keep that going because I know that movement can really help labor pick up, um, if your body's ready for it. So What's also really cool about the labor and delivery uh, birth center at this hospital is there's like a, it's like a loop. So like you can basically walk the loop, like it's a track. Um, so Connor and I were like, Hey, let's go walk around, see if these pick up a little bit more. And I think we walked, it's cool too. They have like different like workout stations on the loop to help labor pick up. So like squats and partner assisted things. Um, so just, again, very cool. Um, I know one of the midwives at this hospital is doing her PhD and one of her um, like projects is to reduce C-section rates at this hospital. And since they've started incorporating like the mile circuit and birth prep movement and getting like birth balls and peanut balls and um, you know, informational packets about how to get labor going and using doulas and all that good stuff in all the rooms. I think they've reduced their C-section rate this year by like 10%, which is a really big deal. <laughs> um, so anyway, we started walking the loop and I think we walked like 10 to 15 laps. Um, and my contractions really started to pick up. Connor was like, Hey, I'm noticing that like I'm talking to you and you're starting to slow down and then you stop responding <laughs> basically. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, I guess they are picking up. So at this point, they were probably every five minutes apart. They were probably like 30 to 45 seconds long. And I was not talking through them anymore. Um, like I was trying to, but that, and I was walking, but that was like about to not be the case <laughs> anymore. Um, so at this point, we got back to the room. I was kind of like, all right, I want to stay off of my feet for a little bit just because it's been a really long day. I had slept terrible. Um, and this is going to be a long night. So, um, you know, I kind of was on my side in the bed um, and contractions were continuing. So I was like, OK, they're not stalling out. Everyone's still leaving me alone. The room's dim. Music's going. I feel safe. This is good. Um, so at this point, we called um, we called my doula and she was like, I think it's a good idea if I come now. And we were like, we think so, too. So she came. Um, so let's take a minute, um, to hear a word from our sponsor before we continue with Owen's birth story. This episode of the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world, who is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, which is BetterHelp. 
BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area, which I know myself and many of my clients have definitely run into this problem before. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. Um, And it's so fast, you guys, like so fast, especially for the healthcare system to be you know, looking for a therapist and then have an appointment with one, with one within 24 to 48 hours. That's like unheard of in traditional healthcare. It's super easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. And you can do that at the link in the show notes, which is betterhelp.com slash Holly Fueled. Clicking that link helps support this channel, but it also helps get you 10% off your first month of therapy. So you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. And because finding a therapist can be a little bit like dating, if you don't really fit with what therapist you are first matched with, which is super common and there's nothing wrong with that, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost without stressing about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit BetterHelp. And again, that's better, H-E-L-P.com slash Holly Fueled, which is H-O-L-L-E-Y Fueled. Thank you again, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode. Now let's get back to the show. So unsurprisingly, <laughs> something else that I had been doing leading up to this point was fueling. So... It is so important to fuel and hydrate properly for labor and delivery. Um, It's something that I don't think it's talked about enough. It's something that some hospitals still don't support. A lot of hospitals will not let you eat anything. Um, Some of them won't let you eat anything if you're going to have like an epidural. And what we're finding in more research is that this isn't really necessary. Like it's pretty outdated and people should absolutely be fueling. Um, and honestly, the fuel recommendations that I've learned as a dietitian for labor and delivery are basically what I would recommend for someone running a long run um, or a marathon. Like we want to have simple carbohydrates, you know, every 20 to 30 minutes to keep the blood sugar stable, keep energy levels up. We want to be sipping a sports drink with electrolytes and water and carbs in it um, the whole time. And this is something a lot of people don't do, um, unsurprisingly, especially if it's not supported by hospitals. Um, and that's why a lot of people also get exhausted in labor. Their body kind of shuts down, uh, cause labor's a lot longer for most people than a marathon is it's, you know, hours, days. Um, so, you know, the other recommendation is if you kind of feel yourself starting to go into labor, you're approaching your due date, carb loading is recommended to top off glycogen store. So, Again, I remember reading all of this because it was on my sports dietitian boards exam. Um, And I remember thinking, oh my God, I've been training my entire life for this. Like I am so ready. I remember telling my doula um, and my um, putting out my birth preferences that, hey, like I am a sports dietitian. I take fueling very seriously. I have no problem force feeding myself, but any encouragement of continuing to fuel is, you know, is appreciated. Um, and Connor, you know, was going to be great at that too, at just putting something in front of my face and saying, eat this or drink this. And if I, you know, and, and he knew I wouldn't complain, I would just put it in my body. Um, so something I had been doing 
this whole time was I had woken up, my water broke. I was like, crap, better eat breakfast, had a cup of coffee, um, and had a snack meal prepped on our way to the hospital. I had a PB and J like three applesauce pouches, um, and like an element, uh, electrolyte supplement, which is why I was surprised that my sodium was like low. Um, and I had had like 80 ounces of, of water total plus, you know, extra sodium that whole morning so far. So, um, you know, I was very adamant about this too. So once contractions were starting to pick up and I was, you know, not really talking through them anymore, we were back in the room, the doula was coming. Um, you know, this is where I was also like, all right, I better get some more food into me because I think it's going to get really hard to do that soon. And again, I might be in for three more hours of this, or it could be 30 more hours of this. I have no idea. So, you know, let me keep on going. And again, since my hospital was so supportive of my birth preferences, all they were basically doing was coming in to check blood pressures at first every hour. Um, and then once things started to get more intense, it was every 15 to 30 minutes. Um, they would also check baby with the Doppler at this point and I could move around. I could, you know, be in any position, which you'll, well, you'll learn more about in a second. Um, and they were fine adapting to this. So it wasn't like I had to be hooked up to anything in a certain position. Like they were incredible. Um, and again, I know it's not the case in a lot of places. Um, so at this point, um, you know, I didn't have, I never had an IV. I never had even a hip lock. Like I never had anything, um, because they didn't put it in unless it was necessary and it ended up not being necessary, um, which I'll talk about. So, I started to, I think I ate some grapes that Connor picked up. I had like a picky bar um, and I put two packets of Scratch Labs because again, I practice what I preach um, and I use the products that sponsor this podcast um, into my Stanley. And I started to drink that because I was like, I need to take an electrolytes. I'd ask the midwife if she was cool with that because I know sometimes people are funny about extra sodium with blood pressure. And she was like, no, absolutely. You need to hydrate have the sodium, your sodium was low, like, um, we'll keep monitoring your blood pressure and I'll let you know if I change my mind basically. Um, so I was like, great, (laughs) you know, green light on fueling. Um, so I got in like half of that and then it started to sound really bad. So, because my contractions were more intense and I was getting really nauseous. So this is where I was like, all right, I got to switch to like gels, uh, which I had brought with me. Um, because of course I did. Um, and chews and like juice and that kind of thing. So, um, once our, once Corinne, our doula got there, I was basically like laboring over, um, you know, either lying on my side. Cause again, I was trying to just take a break from being on my feet. Cause I'd been on my feet all day and, um, I was doing that or I was just leaning over the bed, um, and kind of just gritting my way through them. Um, and I started to get really nauseous. Like they had brought me puke bags. I think I used one of them. I threw up once. Um, and that's the thing a lot of people are afraid of when it comes to eating during labor and delivery is that it'll cause them to throw up. Or it'll cause nausea. Um, and what's a little different about labor and delivery compared to like marathon training or marathon running, uh, there's a lot of things that are different. But if you can't keep your fuel down, like if you are throwing up, yeah, we want you to be hydrated and well-fueled during labor, but vomiting is actually super productive to get labor moving, uh, to push baby down. Um, it's like a reflex the body has to basically progress labor. So I knew if I get anything into me and it comes back up, 
that's fine. Like it's, it's still productive. We know having carbohydrates, even in the mouth, even if you don't swallow them is productive. It kind of can give your brain a little bit of glucose that it needs. Um, and we know that vomiting can be productive. So basically that's what I went with. Uh, cause I definitely was starting to throw up sometimes. Um, and some of it too had to do with what position I was in. If I was like laying down, trying to eat, that was a no go. So I tried to only do it standing up. Um, but yeah, I got down the scratch. I got down, um, you know, some simple carbohydrates. Dula got there. And then things started to get more intense and she started to make um, suggestions. I think my contractions at this point, I I wasn't recording them anymore. I was just turning to Connor and going, it's starting. And he would kind of like press the lap button on a timer. Um, and then I'd say, okay, it's over. And he'd press the lap button so that we were just kind of keeping track of them for when uh, Corinne got there. We would have like data to give her basically, even though she could have observed me for five minutes and probably very much figured out what stage of labor I was in and where I was at. Um, but they're probably like three minutes apart and a minute long at this point. Um, I was breathing through them. I was starting to like make noises and moan. I like didn't want people talking. I think we turned the music off. Um, I didn't really want you know, anyone touching me. I was starting to get really hot, then really cold. Um, so I would just kind of like shout commands at my support team. I would be like, okay, throw the blanket on me. Um, or big blanket. Cause I had a blanket from home when I got cold and they'd throw it on me. Like after a contraction was over when I'd start to get really cold. And then during a contraction, I'd be like, take it off. <laughs> Cause I'd get really hot. Um, and I was laboring over like standing up with a birth ball on the bed and like leaning over the birth ball. So when a contraction would come, I would like throw myself on top of it and kind of like lean over it. Um, this also helped get baby in a good position because it kind of your belly's like a hammock and they kind of have to be in a good position if they can be um, in that in that way. And um, I was throwing up a little bit like things were getting a little bit more intense. Um, I also tried kneeling over the birth ball on the ground. I tried sitting between contractions, but then standing up to go over the birth ball was like too much of a production at one point when they were starting to get really on top of each other. Um, and that's when things got more intense. At this point, the shift changed at the hospital. Um, so <laughs> um, the new midwife, uh, her name was Sue. She ended up delivering Owen. Um, she came. She came in to check on me. And at this point too, I had never had a cervical check. Um, that was also part of my birth, pre birth preferences. I didn't want a cervical check. Um, and if they did do them, I didn't want them to tell me how far along I was unless I was like an eight or over. Um, and if you don't like know what that means, typically your cervix has to dilate from a zero to a 10 before you can start pushing. Once it's a 10, you can start pushing because the opening is completely open for the baby and you're going to meet your baby pretty soon. <laughs> um, you know, relatively at least, um, compared to when it's like a two and a lot of people will kind of gauge how far along they are in labor by how dilated their cervix is. And there's some credibility to that, but it doesn't always mean that like you're as far along or, um, not far along as you think. It, I kind of like, again, to keep comparing it to running, it'd be like checking your watch to see what mile you're at in the marathon, except with cervical dilation. If you're watching, Hey, you're at mile 16 and you're like, great, I've got 10 miles to go. Well, actually you might have two miles to go. You also might have 20 miles to go. 
we don't know, but you're at mile 16 right now. That's kind of how cervical checks are. You could be walking around for weeks, two centimeters dilated, or you could go from two centimeters to 10 centimeters in an hour. Um, so I didn't really want to be told what I was until it was basically time to start pushing because I didn't want to get discouraged by the number because I know that the number is not totally like the whole picture, if that makes sense. So midwife came in just to introduce herself, check on me. Um, she didn't actually like check how dilated I was because again, she supported my birth preferences and it wasn't necessary. Um, and she came in to check on me and I was leaning over the ball at this point. And I, I think she said something like Connor took some notes because there were some great Holly quotes during my labor and delivery. Um, but she said something like, Hey, I'm Sue just here to check on how things are going. It sounds like they're getting pretty intense in here or something like that. And I looked over at her and at this point I was in labor land. Like I was focusing right in front of my face only. Like I, I didn't have a filter. Um, and when I don't have a filter, I'm still incredibly want to be a people pleaser and polite and have a good sense of humor apparently. Cause what I, what I said, the only thing in my line of vision, cause she was like bent over kind of looking at me was her badge reel. And it was Hedwig. It was a, a snowy owl from like Harry Potter. You guys know I love Harry Potter. Owen's nursery is Harry Potter themed. Um, our baby shower is Harry Potter themed. I love Harry Potter. Um, so I looked at her badge reel and I, all I said was, I like your owl. <laughs> She's like, how are things going? It's getting intense in here. And I was like, I, I like your owl. Um, and she kind of laughed and left. <laughs> so I think that told her everything she needed to know without having to check my cervix. Um, so at this point, Basically, what was really cool is, again, I'm in active labor at this point, and, um, like, I don't have anything in me. My blood pressures are high, but they're staying pretty stable. Like, they're not getting worse. Baby's looking good. So I was lucky. My preeclampsia, spoiler alert, it never really progressed, um, and it improved quite a bit after he was delivered, and until it didn't, which I'll get into about postpartum. Um, but as far as labor and delivery goes, there was never red flags. There was never like, oh, we need to rush you to the OR or, you know, we need to induce you or we need to speed this up or baby's in trouble. You're in trouble. Everything stayed high, but not stroke level high. Um, so I was just really, I was really lucky and really thankful for that. Cause that is another reason why this kind of went how I had hoped it would go. Um, cause preeclampsia is kind of unpredictable. So Anyway, um, I'm laboring still at this point over the ball. I tell Sue I like her owl. Uh, shift change happens. And at this point, I hear my doula, who's been pretty quiet the whole time. She's talking to Connor, and she's only saying things if she wants me to hear them. Um, because, again, she knows how I want this to go. She knows what I've told her I think would be helpful. She's seen a bunch of births. She knows what's helpful. Um, so she said something along the lines of, wow, contractions are really on top of each other, one right after the other. I think she was telling the new nurse this, whose name was Jenna. Um, and she was like, I think I'm going to, you know, I think we should go into the shower. Like, I think we should try something different. Um, so I remember thinking, okay, we can go in the shower. Um, you know, water sounds like a great idea. Cause I had told her that hot water typically is very soothing to me when I'm in pain. So I was like, sure, let's try the shower. So we didn't have birth tubs in these rooms. They actually used to. Um, but they don't anymore. And actually, I ended up laboring in the shower for about four hours. Um, and it was great because what I found, again, was these like hot and cold flashes would happen. 
And what was great is that people could just change the temperature or like Connor could just move the shower faucet off of me if I needed to cool down. And if you're in a birth tub, like you're kind of in the birth tub, <laughs> like you can't really change the temperature. Uh, it's hard to get in and out, especially when you're in active labor and moving at all can sound like a mountain. Um, so I ended up really appreciating the shower. So I got in the shower um, and I was sitting in a chair in the shower and it really took the edge off of my contractions, which at this point were starting to get very intense. They were definitely past the point of feeling like period cramps. I know a lot of people describe contractions differently. I would say for me, early labor contractions felt like period cramps, but a little bit more like organized, like, you know, they would stop and start. And in the middle of them, I was fine and I could like be a normal person. Um, and then somewhere between early labor and active labor, they changed really to just a lot of downward pressure. Um, they still felt like period cramps, but they really just kind of take over your whole body. Um, you don't have a ton of control over it. Um, and it's not, again, I'm a couple weeks removed from this now, so I might've said something different had I recorded this the day after birth, but the contractions aren't, I don't think they're painful. Like they, they didn't feel painful to me um, because it's a different kind of pain than like if you get injured or if you, an accident happens, like it's productive pain. And I understood that. And I think that really helped me not panic and feel like this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. This is how this is supposed to be going. I am safe. Everything's good. People are supporting me. These kind of suck. They're intense, but you know, they're a minute long. I can get through them. And I can tell that they're being productive. Like they were starting to become a lot of downward pressure. Um, they were starting to really like almost cause my whole body to vibrate when they were happening. Like I was super vocal through them. I had trained and wanted myself to be able to, instead of just like screaming or making a lot of high pitched noise, which can close like up your cervix and make you super tense. I was trying to keep my voice really low, um, you know, and, make like lower vocal sounds, which can help open things up and keep you relaxed. Really easier said than done, but it gave me something to like focus on if I found things were getting like too high or my doula or Connor would kind of like, you know, say, hey, bring it down, bring it down, bring it down or something like that. And that just really helped me, um, you know, kind of do that. So anyway, at this point they were starting to feel like productive. Um, so I was sitting on a chair in the shower for a bit. It really took the edge off of the contractions where I could still tell they were productive, but it didn't feel quite as like ouchy. Um, I just said they weren't painful. If you're going to have a baby soon, you'll see what I mean soon. Like you're capable of, of dealing with them and they're really intense, but it's different than being just in pain because you're like injured. <laughs> um, and I remember saying, um, you know, Hey, I think at this point I want to lean over the chair in the shower. Um, cause that feels like a more intuitively feels like a more productive position for me to be in. Um, and that was another thing that was important to me about labor was that I wanted an unmedicated birth partially because I wanted to be able to move around to keep baby in a good position to keep labor progressing. Cause I know how important that is. And if you do get an epidural, you can't really move. Like it makes your legs numb. If you do have a supportive labor and delivery staff, um, or a doula, they can help you get into different like positions on the bed. Um, but they have to be very well supported. Some people still can't do that cause they're too numb. Uh, and some hospitals just don't allow you to do that. Um, 
and you're numb. So like you can't feel that it hurts more, right? Like if the epidural is working, but it can mean that baby is not getting in a good position to come out of you, which is a problem. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I really wanted to be able to move around and to be in different positions and places. Cause I knew I'm, I'm really good at listening to my body. You guys know, I've been working on that for like a decade. Um, and I knew that, you know, I would probably have some intuition on what's a good position for me. So just again, having people support me in that, um, was so helpful. So I ended up kneeling on a pillow, that poor pillow, <laughs> um, in the shower, um, over a chair, like a shower chair and was taking contractions like that for hours. Um, and when one would come, I would kind of like lean back, um, and like almost squat down and then row myself back up. Um, my shoulders were so sore the next day from doing this for hours. Um, <laughs> but Apparently it was very productive. Um, I was kind of like shouting orders at Connor to take the shower head off of me and then put it back on and then cool it down. Connor had also been um, basically feeding me like a baby bird, <laughs> frosted flakes uh, in the shower, um, which my doula and like nurse found hilarious. Um, and I guess impressive too, that I was like eating frosted flakes <laughs> like a baby bird in the shower um, and cranberry juice. Those kind of were two things that sounded okay uh from the nurse's station um so he was like giving me those things while I was in the shower um because again I knew it was super important to stay hydrated especially if I was going to be adding in like hot water for hours um so that definitely definitely helped um I definitely still like threw up at least once in the shower um but again it was productive and that really didn't bother me much um so at this point, um, you know, this is kind of going on the entire time too, by the way, like as I'm obviously now in active labor, approaching transition, um, and then the pushing phase, like they started to check my blood pressure more frequently and they were continuing to do manual blood pressures on me and checking on the baby with the Doppler. Um, bless my nurse. <laughs> she was like in the shower with me, like getting soaked, like down on the floor, like holding the Doppler on my belly through contractions. And then like, if she had to take my blood pressure, she'd just have me like sit back, um, you know, between contractions and like, take it real quick again with like shower chaos, like bless her. She was so supportive. And again, I know not all, not all nurses and not all hospital systems are going to be like that, are going to sign up for that. And I just, really appreciated her. She was a gem. Um, and at this point too, she asked me if I was feeling like pushy at all. Like if I felt like my body was wanting to start pushing or bearing down in any way. And, um, oh, hi Owen. Sorry. The, the baby on me is, is stirring. Um, and at this point I didn't, I didn't quite feel pushy, but I definitely felt like the contractions were, becoming a lot more downward pressure. Um, and I knew that I was probably approaching transition just based off of what I knew about the stages of labor and birth. Um, so she asked me this and I said, maybe soon, I think, because I wasn't really sure. And again, this whole time, I'm still kind of in denial about how far along I am because I don't 
want to get excited just to be told, hey, you're actually not that far along and you have a long way to go because that would be really mentally defeating. It'd be like thinking you're at, you know, mile 20 of a marathon, but then actually just kidding, you're at mile 10. Um, So at this point, too, because of that, she had the midwife, um, Sue, come back in um, just to check on me. And she offered to check me. And I think I remember saying, like, I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) Um, Because I just didn't want her to tell me that I was like, you know, not far along. Um, And she ended up checking um, my cervix again in the shower. This woman is like in the shower with me checking my cervix while I'm like on the floor. Um, And she just said, okay. And then she walked away. So she didn't tell me how far dilated I was, which to me meant, oh no, that must mean I'm not an eight yet. And I think like I kind of knew I probably wasn't an eight yet, but it was still in the moment like, ah, damn it. Um, But I appreciated, you know, her kind of sticking to what I had on my birth preferences. Um, And obviously she did tell the team. And what I learned later is that she thought I was like a six or a seven. It was kind of hard to tell in the position that I was in. She said there was also like a lip of my cervix that, you know, needed to move. And she said that the position I was in was optimal for getting that to move. So again, the body knows what it's doing um, and being able to follow your own intuitive movement can be really productive, especially in this process when it kind of takes over your body. You don't have a ton of control. And if you can just kind of like listen to it, um, you know, if everything is medically okay enough and you have enough trust and support in that. Um, you know, I truly believe it will do its best (laughs) to try and get the baby out of you as smoothly as possible. Um, so that was, that was the only time I got checked. Um, that was the only time I had a cervical check, um, the entire labor and delivery process. And I didn't know how far along I was. I think had she told me, Hey, I think you're a six or a seven, I would have been like, Oh, cool. Like that's kind of what I thought or was hoping I would be. Um, but you know, I still appreciated them not telling me and sticking with my birth preferences. So at this point, she said, you know, that's a productive position. I remember, again, my doula, Corinne, she didn't really say anything with me hearing it that she didn't want me to hear. So at this point, too, I heard her, I heard her poke her head in because really only Connor was like, he was the only person I remember seeing like the face of um, when I was in the shower. Because it was small, like not that many people could be in there at once. And it was really freaking hot in there because it had been on for hours. Um, and <laughs> at this point, too, I remember Corinne saying, oh, like, look at her low back. Like, look how the shape is changing to move baby down. And she was telling Connor this because she was, I think, trying to comfort him and keep him calm. And basically, you know, yeah, it looks like she's in a lot of pain. And she probably is. But um, you know, this is normal. This is productive. She's doing exactly what she should be doing and everyone is safe. Um, and like, look, her body is like doing what it's supposed to do, which is kind of cool. So I remember hearing her say that and thinking, oh, cool. That must mean I'm approaching transition, even though I don't really know how many centimeters I'm dilated. Um, so that was just kind of helpful and cool. So I think I spent a little bit more time like this. Again, I don't really have any concept of time <laughs> at this point. Um, and at one point someone, I think the nurse or, or maybe Corinne suggested, Hey, why don't we get you out of the shower? You've been here for a really long time. Um, it's kind of run its course (laughs) and let's maybe get you back on the bed or on hands and knees or in a different position. And little did I know 
it's basically because they thought I was going to start pushing soon and they kind of didn't want me to have a baby in the shower, which I think they would have been fine if I did, but, um, you know, it's just messy. So, (laughs) um, I remember thinking, okay, but that sounds really scary. Like, I feel like I can't move because I just like, again, have no control over my body and the contractions were really on top of each other. Um, I also learned too, like if your water breaks, a lot of the times that intensifies contractions. So my water broke at the start of labor. So my contractions, I guess, were a little bit more intense the whole time. Um, I don't have anything to compare it to, but that's what I was told. Um, And I was like, all right, like if I have help, I can maybe get out of here. And I'm also going to be really cold. So like, I'm scared, I think is what I said. Um, so they, you know, helped me out of the shower. We got onto the bed. I was kind of in the same position, like facing the bed, hands and knees with the back reclined or like inclined so that, you know, I was kind of like bracing with my shoulders on the top of the bed. Um, and I was taking contractions like that. I think I was like screaming into a pillow again, trying to bring my voice low and back down. Um, and I don't really have any concept of time, but I know at one point, and they had blankets over me. Like, they were great. Um, they were trying to dry me off. Um, and I know at one point, um, my nurse, she kind of, like, got in my face to talk to me. And she was like, hey, you know, um, do you want um, Sue to check you again? And I remember at this point, I was, you know, I had some of these thoughts the whole time. But they were starting to bubble up and come out of me. And I was trying to say them out loud. Like, things like, I don't know how long I can keep doing this this is really hard. I'm really tired. Um, this is why people get the epidural on my birth preferences. I said, if I ask for the epidural three times with a good chunk of time in between, like give it to me. Um, so this was like the first time I had even mentioned an epidural. Um, cause I was just getting really tired and I knew in the back of my head, this is what people say when they're in transition and they're going to meet their baby soon. But what if I'm not in transition <laughs> was kind of like what my brain was telling me. Like, what if this is just active labor and I have hours to go? Like, I don't know how long I can keep doing this. Um, I don't want to exhaust myself and end up, you know, in a scary situation. They hadn't even told me how baby was doing or blood pressure was doing the whole time, despite continuing to check it. So I just assumed it was fine. Uh, and it was. Um, and I remember my nurse saying, like, you know, that's what people say when they're about to meet their baby. You're getting so close. And um, I think I was saying fuck. Like I was swearing through contractions, primal screams, trying to bring them down low. And again, if you're giving birth soon, like you just don't have any control over your body. This isn't to scare you. Like it just comes out of you and it's fine. Like it's it's intense, but it's not. Um, it's It's something you can handle if you have your expectations set up properly. If you're not expecting to primarily scream through labor, you you may need to adjust your expectations because that's just what comes out of you. Um, and it feels good at a certain point. It's like productive. Um, so anyway, I remember telling the nurse, I don't believe you. <laughs> um, like, I don't believe you. I want to believe you. But what if I'm not close? Um, and she was like, do you want Sue to come check you again? And I didn't know this, but behind me, Connor was like, oh my God, have her come check because she's going to be like a nine or a 10. Cause I was a six or a seven last time. And he's like, that'll, you know, encourage her. Like was what he was, where's he was going with that. But I was like, I don't know if I want her to check me again. What if I'm not close? Um, and Jenna was like, you're really close. You know, you're going to be really close. Um, you know, things can, can progress really, really quickly from here. And we ended up not doing a cervical check. Um, she honored 
you know, my wishes, even though my husband behind me was like, oh my God, check her. Um, which was funny because had she checked me and I was a 10, like that would have been great to know, but it's fine. It worked out. Um, and so at this point I was feeling a ton of downward pressure. I was starting to get pushy. Um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't progressing much more than it had in this position in the shower. Um, and I was getting really tired of like using my shoulders to hold my body up and bear down kind of through contractions. Um, so at this point, I, again, I don't remember who suggested it, but, um, someone, I think it was, um, my doula or the nurse, um, suggested, Hey, why don't we go sit on the toilet? Because a lot of progress can be made sitting on the toilet. And I knew this, I had this as like an idea in my birth preferences because I just knew it was like a productive position for labor. Um, and people do have babies on the toilet for this reason, even though it's not super glamorous. So I knew where she was coming from. I was on board again. I was like, that seems really far away. I'm going to need a lot of help. And like three people helped me get to the toilet um, to see how that would work. So at this point, we got to the toilet. Um, and as soon as I sat down on the toilet, like the contractions changed. I like definitely felt even more downward pressure, like unbelievable downward pressure. Um, I My body was bearing down. Like I definitely experienced um, what's known as the fetal ejection reflex that not everyone experiences. If you have like an unmedicated birth, you're probably more likely to experience this because you can just feel everything a lot more uh, down there. But like it basically, your body is pushing the baby out. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> like it, you don't really feel like you're actively trying to push or bear down. Like your body's just doing it um, during contractions. And what's tough about it too, is it's hard to like slow it down, which can be helpful to prevent like tearing, um, and that type of thing. But I was definitely starting to experience this on the toilet, like after sitting there for like two contractions. Um, and I remember one of the nurses, I think it's still Jenna, um, at this point was there. She was like, all right, let's move you, um, so that we don't have a toilet baby. And, I remember thinking, one, I don't freaking care if I have a toilet baby. If it comes out of me, great. <laughs> and I remember, two, thinking, she's lying to me. I'm not that far along. Like, this was still where my head was at. I was still, like, the finish line is far. My entire, I didn't even mention this, my entire mantra for this whole experience, I told Connor in the car on the way to the hospital when he was like, oh, are you having any contractions right now? And I was like, yeah. I was like, these are nothing, though. I remember I told him, the well is deep. <laughs> So that was my, my mantra, like throughout this entire process. Um, and something that I use in like races and stuff too, to get into the pain cave. Um, so I remember thinking like, again, the well is deep. What if the baby's not actually that far, um, you know, coming down and out? What if they're lying to me? What if I'm like, you know, what if this is still early labor and I'm not even in transition? Obviously I was, um, but I definitely felt it change. And I, was starting to believe maybe they were right and the baby was going to come soon. I still didn't think it was going to be as soon as he ended up coming. So again, with a lot of help, they got me off the toilet and they got me into the, um, like a couple steps into the room and they had set up a birth stool. Um, I think at some point someone asked, Hey, like, do you, do you want to try the birth stool? I think I said, sure. I think Corinne said, sure. I can't remember. Um, but I, I had heard of a birth stool before. Um, 
it wasn't something I really pictured being in my birth story. Like, I don't know. I don't know why. Like, it's fine that it was. It's what I ended up delivering on. Um, but if you've never seen a birth stool, the one that they had me use, um, it looked like a medieval torture device. Like, it was wooden. Um, it basically is like, it's like basically the same position you would be on a toilet, except there's no bowl. Like, it's just open air so that they can catch the baby and everything else coming out of you. Um, so really productive, like position to deliver a baby, um, for some people. So (laughs) I remember like kind of thinking, what is that thing that they're putting me on? And I remember they're trying to put me on it. And I was like, how do I sit on this thing? Like, and contractions and my body, you know, again, I don't have much control over my body at this point and I'm super tired. Um, and they, they got me, (laughs) they got me set up on that thing. Connor was kind of like behind me, um, like massaging my shoulders and just words of encouragement. Um, And at this point, I too saw like my doula had, she was starting to take pictures and videos, which I didn't ask her to do, but I'm really glad she did. They're, you know, kind of intense pictures and videos, but I was like, yeah, you could always delete them if you don't want to see them. But if you don't take them, they're never there. So I appreciated that. Um, And, you know, my, my one nurse is kind of helping me position onto this birth stool and is crouched down, you know, kind of seeing where things are at in the nether regions. Um, and same thing, contractions, way more intense, tons of downward pressure, fetal ejection reflex, pushing a baby out. I still am in denial about that. Um, and it was, it was like the movies. So like at one point I remember kind of feeling like, oh, I think something's like coming out of me. Like I kind of felt the ring of fire that people have described. Like it felt like a burning sensation. And um, all of a sudden the nurse was gone and then she was, and then there were like five people in the room. (laughs) Like it was like everyone came running in uh, because it was his head that I was feeling. Um, And, (laughs) um, you know, midwife is down there kind of, not coaching me because I didn't really want coached pushing because that can also, you know, be, be tough sometimes. Like some people, like I was kind of like, don't coach me unless you feel like what I'm doing is not productive because that can increase your risk of tearing if you're just being told to purple push, like push with all your might and, you know, shoot the baby out of you. Um, and again, I didn't have really any control over my pushes because I was experiencing the fetal ejection reflex. Um, if anything, I was trying to bring my screams uh, down a notch into the lower kind of vocal tones um, and and breathe, like exhale through them so that I was almost slowing down the fetal ejection reflex um, so that I wasn't feeling as much burning when he was coming out to maybe reduce my risk of tearing, um, which again, you can't really control it, but it felt like the one thing I could control was how I was breathing. Um, and... I felt when his head came out, I felt like a huge relief of pressure. And then his body came out shortly after. Um, I went back and read the the medical notes um, from his birth, which if you're like a nerd like me, I highly recommend you do in your medical chart. It's all there. And it's kind of funny to hear, like to see the notes <laughs> that they left. Um, like at one point, I think during the pushing, she, the midwife said I pushed for 10 minutes, um, which was not very long at all. Um, and 
that I pushed him out with ease was the quote. And I was like, oh, with ease, it was easy. Like it was absolutely not easy. Um, but hey, I can kind of, you know, say that I pushed my son out with ease according to a medical professional. But anyway, um, I, (laughs) he came out, um, and they plopped him on my chest and they said, it's a boy. And I remember seeing him and being like, oh my God, holy shit. That just came out of me. Like, I cannot believe like at that point I was like, oh, the baby's here. Like I still was kind of like, but what if he's not? (laughs) Um, and you know, they plopped him on my chest. I had a, he had a really long umbilical cord. Um, so I was holding him. Um, and I remember saying it's a boy. And then they were like, yeah, it's a boy. And I was like, oh, he's really cute. Like I expected him not to be like, (laughs) um, Another quote that I think I said was I turned to <laughs> I turned to the midwife after he was born and he's on my chest and like he's still attached to me and I'm still on the birthing stool. I turned to her and I said, hey, I guess I was dilated <laughs> um, like just in my stupor, like because she had never ended up checking me again. And she just laughed and was like, yeah, you were you were a 10, <laughs> um, which was just funny. And after he came out, um, they moved me over to the bed, which is an incredible feat to move a person who has a newborn baby on their chest that is still attached to them via the umbilical cord. Like I hadn't birthed the placenta yet, like to get them up and over onto a bed. Um, and I was over on the bed and that's where I delivered the placenta. Um, they did give me, I did opt in for a shot of Pitocin, um, which is something that they do after you deliver. Hi, Owen. Um, it is something that they do after you deliver, um, kind of preemptively to prevent postpartum hemorrhage. And there is good research on that. Um, some people don't want it. Um, they just gave me a shot in my quad. Cause again, I didn't have an IV or anything like that. Um, I did want it just because I struggle so much with my like iron and red blood cell status anyway. It's important to me that it's in a good place because one, I'm a runner and it's important to me that my blood is oxygenated and I don't lose too much iron. And two, um, breast milk starts in the red blood cells. So you don't really want to go into your breastfeeding journey already a little bit anemic if you can avoid it, which a lot of people do end up going into it a little bit anemic. Um, and I was like, you know what, just give me the Pitocin. Like that's totally fine. I'd rather just avoid that. Um, and the midwife had said, you're bleeding a little bit more than I'd like. So we're going to give this to you now, if that's okay. And I was like, yep, (laughs) do it. So shot in the quad. Um, and I've heard people make a really big deal out of that. And it was, it was not a big deal. (laughs) Like it did not hurt. It was fine compared to everything I just experienced. It was not a big deal. Um, shot in the quad. I delivered the placenta really shortly after it I didn't push it out. It just fell out of me. It doesn't have bones. So, um, that really wasn't a big deal. People also make that a big deal. Like, oh, you have to push this whole second thing out. And again, I think if you just know that going into it, it's not as big of a deal. If it's a surprise, I could see how that's a big deal, but, um, that came out. And then, um, after a couple of minutes, we, um, cut the cord. Um, so I was able to do delayed cord clamping, which was something I wanted so that he got as much blood circulating back into him from the placenta as possible. It did turn white. Um, and then they were able to, to cut it. I remember they asked if either of us wanted to do it and we were both like, Nope, (laughs) that's all you guys. Like I have this squishy baby in my arms. I definitely don't need to cut the cord. Um, I had also asked if I could, you know, maybe pull him out, um, when I was pushing him out. And they asked me, like, 
do you want to feel the head? And I was like, no, like I was just so focused on getting him out. So again, like some of these things change <laughs> from your preferences, but that's totally fine. Um, so yeah, delivered the placenta, no problem. It was intact. Um, she kind of showed it to me, which was really cool. I at least thought it was really cool. Um, like this is the tree of life and this is where he was attached and this is where it was attached to you. And it's kind of a big organ. So it's just kind of cool to see. Um, and I chose to not keep my placenta. Um, I had hem and hawed back and forth on encapsulating it because I have heard of some benefits um, for postpartum, but there's not a ton of research to support it. And it did honestly just kind of give me the ick. So I kind of went with my gut and was like, meh, I'm just not going to do it. Um, and I'm only two and a half weeks postpartum, but so far I'm having a very good experience. Um, you know, so um, but I did want to see it and kind of just look at it. I don't know. So I saw that. Um, and then he, um, he was in really good shape. Like he, he, he did come. So he did come out with a nuchal hand, um, which means he came out like Superman with like a hand like up by his head. So even though he was only six pounds and eight ounces, um, or seven and a half ounces, he was, he wasn't, you know, super big, um, he tried to make himself as large as possible by having a hand up by his head. So I did get a second degree tear, um, which both my midwife and doula were like, oh, we don't think you would have torn if he didn't have like a hand up by his head, but you did. So now we need to fix that. Um, and again, just there's uncontrollables. You, you can't control if your baby's going to come out like Superman. So um, that was kind of a bummer, but it was, I didn't care. Had a squishy baby on my chest. Labor was over. Um, so she was stitching me up. Um, and again, I've heard people make a really big deal out of this too, but the lidocaine shot was not a big deal. The stitching was not a big deal. It was not comfortable, but it wasn't a big deal. Um, so if you do tear and you do need stitches and you didn't get an epidural and you're worried about feeling things like it's really not a big deal, um, in my opinion. <laughs> um, so don't be afraid of that. Um, and I also remember telling her that and she kind of looked at me and was like, this one. <laughs> um, and I was like, I don't know. It's, I didn't think it was that bad. But um, and <laughs> so she she did uh, stitch me up um, while I was holding him and he came out very like alert. Um, everyone was like, wow, he's super like alert. You know, he was looking around the room, kind of like crying, like he was just in in good shape, which was really good to hear. And then my hospital does. um skin to skin golden hour for two hours, um, postpartum if everything is, you know, medically okay with baby and mom. So we got two hours, um, of skin to skin, you know, he, he had vernix on him. He was, um, just on my chest and, um, the, they didn't weigh him or do anything to him, you know, before, before that, cause he was good to go. So, um, you know, she kind of stitched me up and everyone made sure that we were okay. Um, and then we were just left with our little squishy baby for two hours, uh, which was so crazy and awesome. Um, and my husband and I, I think I was a little in shock and I was like still in business mode trying to make sure that I did everything I was supposed to do. Um, Connor was, you know, so emotional and very cute and happy. I think he was honestly just happy that the labor process was over, uh, cause it was super intense for both of us. Um, and he actually said, which I thought was interesting and probably super accurate. So again, partner expectations, 
especially if you do want to go in, like if you have birth preferences and your partner is going to be there as your support person, I think it's really good to be on the same page um, so that they're also preparing for what to expect, Um, especially if you're planning like an unmedicated birth where things are super intense um, and like what is normal, I think is helpful for them to know because it's super intense for your partner to watch you go through something like that, especially if they don't know what's normal. Um, And again, he kind of said like, it was kind of like, I was wondering why people call this the best day of their life during labor. He was like, cause I felt very helpless, even though I was like, you were not helpless. You were helping me so much, even though you probably didn't really know that at the time. Cause I couldn't talk. Um, but then he said, as soon as he was born, he was like, oh, now I get it. This is like the best day ever. Um, which is just kind of funny. And we, you know, kind of looked at the time I was like wondering what day it was going to be. Cause I know that, you know, we had started labor late on the 11th. Um, and it was kind of funny. I was really excited that he was born on the 12th. 12 is my lucky number. It always has been. Um, and I kind of like when my due date was the 15th, I was kind of like, oh, it'd be funny if he was born on the 12th. Like that just sounds good to me. But then I didn't let myself like follow through with that anymore because that was before my due date. And I didn't want to get excited about, you know, giving birth before my due date. (laughs) Cause like I said, the well is deep and the finish line might be farther than you think it is, which is my whole mindset. Um, so it was really funny that I kind of like predicted his due date. Um, so I ended up, you know, having him on the 12th. We knew what his name was going to be, um, you know, and and he he looked like his name in our opinion. So we were we were excited about that. Um, Owen, we just kind of liked the name. I, we heard it somewhere. We liked it. We agreed on it very early on. Um, and then Christopher is my dad's name, um, which we just we liked it. My dad's great. Close with my dad. Um, so that was that was easy. Um, and yeah, then we had golden hour with our, with our son and it was pretty incredible. During this time too, um, the nurse did help, um, try to get him to latch to start breastfeeding since that was, um, breastfeeding was my kind of nutrition plan, feeding plan for him. Um, and he actually did latch right away. Um, you know, they're, they're so little and tired and sleepy, uh, when they come out. So like he was just kind of, you know, getting some practice really, um, but that was pretty cool that they supported uh, me with that. Um, and then after the two-hour period, they, they weighed him. They measured him. They, you know, we opted for all of the, the, the vitamin K and the um, eye drops and all of that. That was fine with me. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it was just – it was a very surreal experience. It was a very long day. Um, and – it was funny, like after the fact, I just like heard some more uh, things um, that people were telling me who were there, who were there that I just missed because I was in labor land and not, you know, focusing on other things, obviously. Um, so like one of the things that my doula told me, she was like, at one point, she's like, you know, you were getting super vocal and you're making some real good noises. And it kind of sounded like we were going to get close to pushing soon just from my birth experiences. Um, she's like, so I, and no one was in the room. She's like, so I told Connor, I was just going to pop my head out and try and find one of the nurses. Um, and she's like, I came out of the room and our room was like right by the nurse's station. And she's like, I came out of the room and no one was there. (laughs) She's like, there was no one to be found. Um, 
you know, a lot of the times when people go into labor on their own, it happens like in the middle of the night. So labor and delivery units tend to be really busy at night. Um, and I guess it was that night. So, um, so she was like, so I was kind of like running around the floor, like trying to find someone, um, because I was a little worried that me or Connor was going to be catching this baby. (laughs) Um, and she ended up finding like a nurse who had like two babies in her arms and was like answering the phone and obviously very overwhelmed and like, couldn't really provide help. So she was like, Oh, well, hopefully someone comes. Um, and it all ended up working out fine. So that was just like, I don't know, that was kind of funny um, that, I did, that I didn't know at the time. Um, and then um, also, again, I saw my midwife the next day and I was like, I still like your owl. I was like, I'm Holly. Nice to meet you. Because <laughs> I didn't really get to talk to her um, when I was like myself. Um, so she kind of laughed at that, which was funny. And then they kept monitoring my blood pressure. Um, you know, they had me get up to go to the bathroom um, a couple hours after he was delivered, they kind of do like fundal massage to get your, um, bleeding to stop and to get your uterus to start to shrink, which it also starts to shrink if you do breastfeed at all. Um, cause that can trigger oxytocin to get the uterus to cramp back down. Um, the postpartum like cramps that you experience with your uterus shrinking, it's kind of just like bad period cramps. Um, is my first baby. I I've heard that with subsequent babies, it gets a lot more painful. Um, I was taking Advil, um, like every 12 hours or so, honestly, mostly just to help with like, my back was killing me. My shoulders were killing me from sitting in the hospital bed after giving birth. Um, and because they were so sore (laughs) from labor, honestly, too, the next day I didn't have much of a voice. Um, my vocal cords and my esophagus were extremely sore, um, from labor noises. Um, I definitely strained my voice a little bit, which was kind of not expected, but again, like it, it doesn't feel painful in the moment, not to scare anyone. It's a very positive experience is what I'm trying to say. Um, so they did the fundal massages. Those weren't really a big deal, but it was something that they do and something I know people talk about, um, in birth stories. I didn't think they were a big deal. They weren't fun, but they weren't, a big deal. Um, and we were, um, also just monitoring my blood pressure, which had started to come down after the delivery of the placenta, which I guess is what tends to happen with preeclampsia. Um, and by the time I, we left the hospital, um, which we stayed for two nights, um, two nights or three nights, well, technically Thursday night and then Friday night and Saturday night. So it's technically three nights. Um, although the first one was when I had him, Um, so I didn't sleep at all, but, um, by the time we left the hospital, my blood pressure was like 120 over 70. Like it was very normal, um, which seemed great. And then actually at my postpartum visit, um, two days later, it was a little bit higher. It was like 140 over 90. Um, and then I did a blood pressure check-in at my midwife practice, um, a couple days later and it was co-white high. Um, it was like the highest my blood pressure has ever been. It was like 160 over 90. Um, so I did end up with postpartum preeclampsia, which it was kind of like a delayed reaction, um, because it had come down in the hospital. And that's like one of the reasons why they let me go go home. Um, when they let me go home without any medication or any interventions or anything like that, because it looked normal. So I'm really glad, you know, that we scheduled a postpartum blood pressure check because I had no symptoms. Like guys, I felt great. 
like for pushing a baby out, like all that, like I felt really good. You know, had I not torn, I would have felt even better. Um, like I could definitely tell, um, you know, once the swelling kind of went down, like what was what down there that like, oh, the stitches and where I tore is what's actually the most uncomfortable and sore. And the rest of me actually feels quite good, which is incredible. Um, like I felt, you know, sleep deprived and emotional, but like it wasn't anything I didn't expect. Um, so when I went in for my blood pressure check, like all chipper, uh, like everything's great. Baby's great. Baby, um, you know, he had, he had gained weight, um, you know, even between his hospital stay and our postpartum visit two days later. So I was reassured that breastfeeding was going well. He was getting enough. Um, it was starting to become less painful, which was great. Um, so I was very chipper going into my blood pressure check. The nurse even made a comment, which I kind of roll my eyes at, like, could you try to look a little bit more like you gave birth a couple days ago? Like she was talking about my body and what it looked like. Cause you know, I gave birth and my belly was gone and I was kind of like, well, I'm here for like a blood pressure check that ended up turning into me needing medication. So I was like, I feel like I just gave birth a couple days ago. Um, and my body is clearly not over it yet. Um, but anyway, I'm glad it didn't let her, it, it didn't cloud her judgment when she took my blood pressure and she was like, Oh, I gotta go get the doctor. Cause this is very high. Um, and they were like, do you have headaches? Do you have pain? Do you have blurred vision? Anything? And I was like, no, I feel great. Like, I feel really good. Can you take it again just to make sure? Um, and it was still high. So unfortunately I did end up needing blood pressure meds. Um, just, just prescription like pills. Um, you know, I didn't have to be admitted or anything like that to bring it back down. Um, and the pills themselves had some side effects, um, that were not super pleasant, like headaches and blurred vision, which is confusing when those are also the side effects of having high blood pressure, but I hadn't had them at all. So it was definitely the medication. Um, and I had to monitor my blood pressure at home like two or three times a day, but it did start to come down with the medication. Um, and at the time of recording this, I've been off the medication for a couple days cause I haven't needed it because my blood pressure has been normal and low on its own. Um, so I'm hoping I'm out of the woods with that, but I know that this can kind of wax and wane for a bit postpartum. So we're just kind of keeping an eye on it. Um, but as far as preeclampsia goes, uh, I'm very grateful that my experience was what it was because I know it can escalate and be a lot more complicated. Um, and I'm well aware of this potentially being a thing that impacts any future pregnancies um, if I choose to do this again. Um, so just kind of just kind of good to know. But yeah, that's Owen's birth story. Um, overall, extremely beautiful, very positive, uh, incredible experience. Um, very, very intense. I was really just grateful that I stayed healthy enough, that he was healthy, that everything went smoothly, that I basically got to check a lot of boxes in terms of what I, how I wanted our birth to go. Um, and I just feel really grateful for that because I know that's not everyone's experience. Um, but I hope that you found this entertaining. If you're into birth stories, this is getting super long. Um, but feel free to reach out with any questions. Um, especially if like, I don't know if you're a first time mom, this is your first pregnancy. I just, I really... I really think listening to birth stories is incredibly helpful to let you set expectations that are accurate 
for birth. And don't just listen to ones that go how you want yours to go. Um, like listen to all kinds of positive birth experiences. Don't listen to the traumatic ones, you know, unless, unless you're like just wanting to set yourself up for a lot of anxiety. Um, but yeah, listen to ones with epidurals, listen to hospital ones, listen to home births, listen to unmedicated births, listen to C-sections. Like, I think it's good to kind of have expectations. Um, and something that I did for my birth preference list, I did basically what my preferences were for how I wanted it to go. And I also had a section that was like in the event of, you know, needing an induction or in the event that, that we need a C-section. Like these are some things that I would prefer. Um, and it, it's just really helpful to kind of be able to wrap your head around planning for things you don't want um, so that you feel like you know what to expect still, even if it's not what you want. Um, and my hospital staff was incredibly supportive of all of that. And I really kind of made it more detailed for my doula so she could help communicate those things as well. Um, I also highly, highly, highly recommend getting a doula, especially if this is your first birth. Um, and especially if you're wanting things to go a certain way, like if you want it to be unmedicated or if you want low interventions, or if you do want an epidural, or if you, you know, have an induction scheduled, um, I think having a doula is incredibly, incredibly helpful. It was something I was on the fence about for most of my pregnancy. And I am so, so glad that we ended up hiring Corinne. She was incredible. And again, just like the calm Zen person who knows what's going on in the room, not only was she incredibly helpful for me, she was incredibly helpful for my husband who was also very supportive, had prepared, like we had been on the same page, but like, again, it's a big day for your partner too. And they're watching you go through something that is really hard to watch. And if they don't really know what to expect or what's normal, it's really nice to basically have what my husband considered. He was like, she was like the therapist in the room. <laughs> like she just kept everyone calm, you know, told me what was normal, um, you know, kind of kept my head on my shoulder so that I could be helpful to, to you. Um, and again, super helpful. Um, and a lot of them too, you can get reimbursed by insurance or pay with HSA. So that's something to, to look into as well. So that was Owen's birth story. Um, not a super traditional podcast episode, but he is about to wake up from his nap now and I'm going to sign off. So until next time, happy labor and delivery, happy running.